2: And today we are going to be talking about the anatomy of a successful meeting. Everybody listening likely has an understanding, has a an emotional response to the worst meeting that they probably attended last week. And we wanted to talk today about how to make meetings more successful. How do you how do you really uh, manufacture successful meetings, even when perhaps you are not the person who is managing or organizing the event. And so what I wanted to do for us today is for us to walk through what really is and are the parts of a successful meeting, both in preparation, participation, and post-ops. I wanted us as a group to discuss how we manage participation during meetings, before, during, and after, and ultimately have a discussion about some of the the skills that we have to have in terms of communicating during the meeting, presenting and facilitating meetings, as well as closing out meetings, which can sometimes be difficult. So let's start off with what makes a successful meeting in terms of the individual parts that make up a meeting. I think
1: it has to do with the mindset of the people who are coming into the meeting itself. Uh, A meeting is always a, a collaborative event between people and the ones that take uh, place in companies occur because the there are participants or someone is the someone instigates the need for the meeting but it's not just the fact that they're instigating it that's a potential problem is that they're doing so inside of a context inside of a culture and most companies that I've worked with don't have a culture of seeing meetings as what i call a necessary evil which is that it's something that needs to be as short as possible, as high quality as possible, as succinct and on point as possible, and should be reduced wherever possible, cancelled wherever possible, people should be disinvited, people should be chased out of the room, Mala, Steve Jobs, because meetings are a huge, huge cost in times so in terms of time, dollars and money to companies. But I've not been in a company that's treated meetings as if it were Uh, an awful waste and that there should be an ongoing process of reducing the time spent in meetings and the number of meetings. I'm yet to see them apply rigorous, continuous improvement techniques to what I think is an inherently wasteful activity that cannot be avoided.
0: I love the fact that you start by, I have never worked in a company who has that. And because it's something that I, like you, when I don't, I don't even know if I will Say that my own business, you know, every meeting has that. You know, we tend to, we tend to struggle. You know, I, I years ago there is I don't remember if it's a GTD Fast or one of those audio programs or was one of the interviews with David Allen and and he was saying that when he was working with his wife on the same hotel room and he needed to send something for her to do. Okay, the comment was something on the lines a given. It's, it's going to age the comment, but was something on the lines. I put it on my system, up to the internet, into the server in California, up to the internet, until the computer and his wife, even that they were sitting in the same room. And it's, he was explaining the effective and efficiency on that instead of interrupting the other person and doing that. One of the problems I see in many organizations is we forget that our urgency is not necessarily the other guy urgency. And we really fail to gauge what is an emergency and what is not. Therefore, we add an incredible amount of unnecessary meetings, number one. And number two, we think that for every little thing, we need to make a meeting with many of these things could be solved um, via be other other things that's one of the things in which i think things like slack where it allows people to be there to create groups to create chat to create an ad hoc second meeting is great the problem is what we most organization i have seen doing with software and pieces of software as slack is now let's keep the same amount of meetings plus Let's add now the Slack. So what's happening now is the meetings are even less effective because you have the people sitting there having shorter meetings on Slack while they're trying to not pay attention to the meeting they're sitting on.
2: I'm a little bit draconian when it comes to meetings. One, I don't like to have them if we don't have to have them. And two, I believe that meetings are about making decisions. And so therefore, that's really the only reason for in essence, the traditional format of a I'm calling a meeting, as opposed to, say, an event where someone is going to present something or what have you. Uh, So I don't particularly call meeting something where someone's going to give a presentation or something to that effect. But I, I understand that that can be considered a part of a meeting. But ultimately, a meeting is about making a decision. And whether that is brainstorming during the meeting and people coming to consensus either through an autocratic decision or a consensus or majority-based decision, there is a decision that needs to be made, perhaps about one thing or multiple things. And so for me, meetings are all about what are the decisions that need to be made for actions to be decided. And if everyone can understand that construct in preparation, during, And ending and leaving the meeting, then we can all be more productive. That's that's the lens through which I see it. Maybe not everybody does, but that's that's the that's the ultimate outcome of a meeting is that we've made decisions. So for me, I see the pieces of the anatomy of a successful meeting is that we've had great preparation in furtherance of making those decisions. Uh, We have a uh, an understanding when we sit down to the meeting, what the format of the meeting is going to be, who's leading the meeting and how we're going to make decisions, right? Whether it's going to be autocratic, I'm the head of the company and so I'm going to make all the final decisions or let's take a majority vote or we're going to consent as a group to be moving forward on a particular item uh, on the agenda. And then finally, uh, identification of who the responsible parties are for what actions we decide based on the decisions that we make. Those are really the, that, those are really the anatomical parts for me of a successful meeting. Let's um, continue on uh, in the discussion with how you manage participation for successful meetings before, during, and after from my perspective i i typically see meetings as being one person who is managing the entire process typically the person who calls the meeting and there isn't a lot of participation from the other members which is the antithesis for me of a successful meeting in the sense that if one person is preparing the agenda and sends out a calendar invite and then everyone just shows up to the meeting without preparation then that is out the gate, an unsuccessful meeting, or at least it sets you up for lower possibility of success. So, how do we how do we deal with those participatory components of a successful meeting?
0: Well, the first problem comes on what the meeting is, okay, and and how the organization understands a meeting. You know, I. I have been in organizations, work with organizations, and participate with organizations that no meeting is done without agendas, okay? The majority of the places I have worked, somebody said the meeting, and not even on the subject of the meeting is clear what we're going to talk. And then when you go back and say, what are we going to talk about this? You know, basically, why do you want me to be there? Okay. Or we will talk about it at the beginning of the meeting. And that is the most common meeting set up I encounter. you get a calendar invite okay and what is this meeting about other no, we will discuss in the first five minutes well if we are going to dis- if you do it that way the problem is I get to the meeting to begin with without preparation therefore the meeting now requires 10 more minutes at least so the half an hour you block it's already short 10 minutes the second problem I see is most people never get on time on the meetings okay why? because they're booked, okay? They, I've seen more than not calendars that you see double booking, triple booking. Okay. You know, I, I work, I have coached executives that they have been triple booked the day over day, over day, over day. And when you ask, how do you go? Oh, I don't pay attention to that calendar. What do you mean you don't pay attention to the calendar? Calendar is your lifeline. And I have worked with many people who don't. Same thing with the agendas. Yeah, yeah, I go there and they go. And that's then what happened? People open the laptop, open the phone, okay, never pay attention to the first ten minutes, therefore, in the middle of the minute in the of the meeting now we are going back so what we're trying to accomplish here if they ask that, and then hopeful that they the meeting is over, so we can run to the second meeting, okay in the last ten months, I have been working with one person who managed meetings in an incredible way um. And this person basically is the organizer. If she sent me a meeting request, I go. No question asked. Because it's the only person in long time I have worked with who has a clear agenda. Not only that, she tends to take care of the screen, put the agenda in front of the screen and go writing down. The interesting thing with this person is that most people think that is unnecessary. And it's a problem for this person because people think, oh, you're, you're too detail-oriented. We don't need that. But her meetings tend to be the only effective ones I force to go.
1: I have a slightly different take. Um, And it's not because I disagree with anything that we've said so far. I don't think anybody would disagree. Uh, I I think everyone knows if you send someone to an effective meetings program or tell them to read a book, they're going to hear and they're going to say all of the right things because everyone knows. It's not a mystery as to what causes a good meeting. We've all been in bad meetings where we've felt stuck and wondered why the basics aren't being executed faithfully. So I think in terms of making a difference, it's not a matter of repeating the basics over and over again. I think there's a a, a bigger context and the, the kind of things that I've been writing and thinking about are if meetings are really a waste, Uh, 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 in in, in sort of strict engineering terms, they are uh, uh, something you should be trying to minimize. Then there should be a point system and everyone should have a certain number of points allocated to them just the way they do a budget at the beginning of a year. And they use their meeting points by by calling meetings. Um, When they add more people, it takes more points. When the people have higher, um, a higher status in the in the organization, like they're a vice president, that takes more points. Anyway, but you're allotted a certain number of points per year to call meetings, and if you exceed that number, you now have to have a conversation with your manager, and it, it sort of goes like, why do you, why are you taking up so much points? <laughs> in other words, why are you taking up so many, so much of people's time in your meetings, and do you, are you going over your budget? And are you using it wisely? And some people wouldn't have budget, which means they couldn't call meetings unless they went to their manager. They got a certain amount of points, and then they could spend their points on meetings. And I think that would that would close down the problem of calling meetings in the first place and having them um, having them sort of be a match for the importance that the organization places on people getting together and spending time in this wasteful activity. And then on the back end, I would put in something I've, I've, I've only ever seen once, and I found it on the internet and tried it, and it seemed to work in, with, with one client. But it's to have an immediate feedback um, program, uh, an app. And one I found was nothing more than a survey, an anonymous survey. And at the end of a meeting, you ask everyone, pull out the app. And let's rate the meeting. And once again, if you get really low marks on the feedback from the meeting attendees, you lose points. You lose more points. If you get good feedback, you get more points. And at the end of the year, people who get really good points or high points, just like the person that Augusto mentioned, would get you know whatever reward there is. And it would be recognized in their performance management system or whatever mechanism is set up. But the 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 point I'm I'm sort of focusing on in my comment is that everyone knows what you need to do in the meeting. I think it's the context outside the meeting that ruins meetings because protocols aren't followed, and then there's no penalty for not following them. I think there should be, just as you said, Ray. I think there should be draconian draconian mechanisms where you can only call a meeting if you use a, if you have points to call one. And you can, and you lose lose points if you call and conduct a very poor meeting, and that will complete the feedback loop for the people who are responsible for calling meetings.
0: My favorite part about the point system is that there will be people who will never be able to call a meeting again, and that will be great. But the problem with the point system is the people who, at least in my experience, the people engaged on the meeting is the same people engaged in other other meeting, Okay, then when you get them out of points, okay, the other people in general are not going to be engaged. That's the reason I have always been against the point system, because I understand the people who talk a lot, guilty of charge, but that is also a correlation between that and the people who tend to be having more projects or having more engagement or having get more done. Okay. And if you then limit those people on point, you take the risk to then eliminate participation on the meeting. The people who will hoard be hoarding those points, they are not participating anymore. They are not participating anyway.'s It's not that they are hoarding points and they have points because of the, what they are doing. They are ho- rich on points because they are not playing. So how we get into this same point system, these people to engage. Okay? So Or we should simply eliminate them. That is a fine with me. But we we need to think how we're going to get these people who don't engage, who you need to bring to the meeting anyways, to participate, to make that meeting more efficient. Because the problem with these people is they're sitting on the meeting. They don't say that word. Then you walk out and they say, oh, well, I disagree with this. And you look at them like, we just spent half an hour in a room. Why you didn't say something? Well, I wasn't sure or we do a post-meeting of the meeting. So let's, after the half an hour meeting, let's have a donut and a coffee so we discuss the meeting instead of discuss the meeting during the meeting so that way we can get something effective. And by the way, I had a manager years ago that I worked with that did do exactly that. His meetings were 45 minutes and the last 15 minutes he give coffee. And the idea, and he said that was the only 15 minutes that were effective. He knew he needed to waste 45 to get the meat that he's meeting in the last 15 minutes.
2: So I'm going to take a step back here and and go over some of the fundamentals that I think about when I when I think about a meeting. Because while I think the point system is is fun and has veracity, it has very little opportunity to actually become a part of meeting culture. <laughs> I I wish it would, um, but I don't see anyone anytime soon in a, in in either major corporations or even small businesses deciding to manage a point system as it relates to who can and can't call meetings. But the idea is great. I uh, I I I I champion anyone who wants to try that. But there are some fundamental components here that we should talk about, um, whether or not you learn about them in a in a corporate training or not. My central thesis is that meetings are for decisions, and so if we are attempting to be able to make decisions, then we need to be able to do coalition building outside of meetings in order to be able to make meetings effective, which means that a meeting should have an objective. What is the objective of the meeting? Is it to is it to educate people? Well, then there needs to be some decisions about how to educate those people, either in the meeting or around the meeting, that is before or after. But the meeting should have an, an objective or several objectives to, to its purpose. Um, and if not, then no meeting, right? And that's that's always my clear sort of delineation. We have a meeting because there's an objective or objectives. If there's no objective to the meeting, then the meeting gets canceled and I'm pretty aggressive about that because I don't want my time wasted. When once we have that uh, idea, then an agenda is usually drawn up and the agenda then helps us all understand what coalition building needs to happen before the meeting. So from my perspective, and I would be interested to hear both of your perspectives on this, but my perspective is to get the people who are going to make decisions. I want to know what their decisions are going to be before the meeting because if I'm calling the meeting and I'm facilitating the meeting, and we'll get to meeting roles shortly. But the idea here is that You want to be able to know that uh, Bill in accounting is going to be for your project and Susie over in marketing is going to be against your project so that you can start doing that coalition building before you get to the meeting such that you know what the vote is going to be up or down on X or Y You know, item on the agenda. And this really helps you not only build defense, but build an offense for any particular thing that you want to successfully happen in terms of decision making from a meeting. So I I don't see people doing this very often. And I really encourage everyone to start that process of saying, okay, well, what are the decisions that need to come out of this meeting? Which of those do I support and which do I not support? And what do I need to do before the meeting? such that when I get to the to the meeting itself, I know what's going to happen. And therefore I can make some inroads toward the and influence the thing that I want to make happen. And so often than not, we feel victim or subjected to things happening in a meeting when in reality we have a lot more control and a lot more perspective when we do that kind of coalition building before meeting. So then we come to roles and I tend and try to break up the roles in meetings, although that traditionally doesn't happen just because I tend to facilitate the meetings that I call and I tend to be the person who acts as a scribe. Uh, Sometimes some meetings will have a decision maker someone who's leading, someone who's facilitating separately, uh, so especially if you follow parliamentary procedure. And then you'll, you will also have uh, the participants in the meeting. And sometimes you'll have outside guests or speakers or that kind of thing who come in as uh, basically consultants uh, that help provide uh, some kind of expertise or subject matter expertise um, to that meeting. So the um, You know, my whole thought is to always make sure that everyone who is a part of the meeting gains access to the agenda and. Uh, and just as a side note, I don't know what you you guys do in terms of scheduling, but I like to use scheduling software for scheduling all of my meetings, so that I'm able to disseminate all of the related documentation in the calendar event. I actually provide links to the agenda, or I will paste the agenda directly into the notes of the of the actual calendar uh, event invitation, and uh, any any supporting materials that I want people to read or be a part of in. Um, in preparation for the meeting, what other pieces are there in that space, uh, kind of on a, a tactical level, uh, less than strategic level, in in terms of how you prepare for meetings?
1: Back to the point system.
2: <laughs> <laughs> go for it. Go for it. Well, it it,
1: it the again, it's a it, it the problem isn't the logic, right? Because everyone would agree that you need to prepare for meetings. There's nobody who's going to say, "Oh no, you don't need to." Everybody's going to agree the problem is the behavior that you know people will show up to the meetings unprepared and there's no sanction and there's no feedback and there's there's no nothing so they'll keep on showing up to every meeting unprepared so the behavior doesn't change just because they understand the logic is is sort of is sort of where the, the big challenge people have and I think to change the behavior you need to either Either allow people in the meeting who are prepared, and disallow those who are not. And I've I've seen versions of this done, where if you haven't read, we're gonna we're now gonna read the stuff I sent out before, and we're gonna spend this first half an hour reading because you people didn't do your, your job, and the rest can go away. And those who are supposed to be in the meeting and need to have read the me- read the materials, we now read them if you haven't. So I've seen sanctions up front. And I've seen the the sanctions uh, at the back end also with the feedback um, via the app that, you know, if if you put people need to come to the meetings unprepared and you get one out of five um, for scoring the meeting. Everyone's behavior can change because now you have a tangible representation that we are unhappy about the meeting, how the meeting went. We know what to do about it. And here's the feedback that we collectively give to each other about how poorly the meeting was run. So again, I don't think the problem is, is knowing what to do. I think the problem is creating the social sanctions and the social feedback. It's a social problem, in other words, not a problem of, of logic. Uh, and it's just, it's just it's something about human beings that, especially when the, the, the most important person, like a CEO, is the worst offender. And this is what I see everywhere. Uh, you know, I've worked with CEOs who say, oh yeah, we need to improve the way we, we run our meetings, we're wasting a lot of time, people are complaining that there's too many of them and that they're poor, and then he or she is the worst offender, and he or she refuses, sort of shuts down the door when anyone even hints at giving them sort of common sense feedback. So if, it's, if, it's, if you want to have people come to meetings prepared, I think it's a behavioral challenge
2: well and also if the if the executive in charge is the one who's the worst offender, then the ability to change the culture is that much more diminished you know a point based system needs to be championed not just from the ground up but, but also from the top down i i i don't believe that it's a one sided change habits are to individuals as as culture are to organizations and if the if the idea here is that You know, the organization needs to change. Anyone who is not the executive who's listening, know that you also need to make the executive become a champion of something like a point based system or whatever meeting changes need to happen. Meeting. Meetings become more effective when the culture of the organization recognizes the need for it to change. And culture, culture change, just like habit change, is slow, and so don't think that you can change anything overnight. So any of these things that we talk about strategically or, or tactically today, remember that just one of them changing is a huge success because changing culture is difficult. It's like moving, you know, it's like directing an elephant. It's very difficult to, to direct a charging elephant. And so if you could just nudge them in the right direction, tactically in one component, that's a, that's a huge success. Can I add
1: in just one, one tactic that I see people try to use anyway? So there are very few executives who allow unlimited spending of dollars, of budgets. So when it comes to that particular expenditure, you know, they are draconian, just like you said. But when it comes to the time, the collective time spent on email and on meetings, I'm throwing in email as well. All of a sudden they don't see the cost. And all of a sudden they give themselves all sorts of latitude to waste people's time in those two media. And then the company then follows suit and everyone sort of buys into a culture that, you know, copying everyone on an email is not a problem, even though I know, yeah, it takes a lot of people's time. So those are two areas in which most CEOs are, that I've met, are lax and some of the worst offenders. And it's it's almost as if they don't see or feel the connection between the bottom line and wasting people's time. There's the, the, it's so fuzzy that they're not willing to even consider the kind of of penalties that we're talking about social penalties they're not even real penalties they're just social penalties because they might be the one who incurs the worst ones of all
0: well you know i agree on on i agree on a couple of things you guys have said one is a culture and that is the biggest pet peeve of meetings you know the culture of meeting culture of any organization will make an effective meeting almost impossible you know i uh, I remember years ago working for an organization, and I started having a stand-up meetings, okay? And I got a complaint on HR because I was forcing people to have a stand-up meeting, okay? And I, and, and I went and talked to the HR people and say, so can you explain to me? Well, people then I say, people, there are 20-minute meetings. If you cannot stand 20 minutes, any job description in this company said that you need to be able to stand and lift weight for at least 30 minutes. So I don't understand your complaint. And the HR person look at me and say, well, I have not thought about that. I say, great. Then can we dismiss this and I can move on with my life? Thank you. Okay. But people were complaining because I changed the meetings to stand-up meetings, including my boss, by the way. Okay. But the person I was reporting to see, can we sit in the conference room? No, I told you we we're going to have meetings here. I don't have time for it, for that. Okay. So that's a problem. Culture, we especially try to change it. And obviously... The meeting format never worked because of that. I could not get my... He admitted that the meetings were more efficient, but he said, I hate the standing up meetings. So they were eventually eliminated, okay? Even that they, to his own admissions, they were better than the traditional meeting. Fine, that's one. Second, I have seen a lot of high executives who call these meetings, who come on these meetings, not to any other than to be able for them to disconnect for 10 to 15 minutes to think. They don't care about the meeting. The only reason they are thinking they are sitting there is so they can think, so they can go back to the running. So it's not necessarily that they are not thinking on the bottom line, is that they are thinking, if I can get into that meeting and listen to these people think and discuss and all that, I may catch what I need to move the other my part of the thing, and they can figure it out, they part later on. And uh, so it's not that they are not looking at that bottom line; is that they are looking at that bottom line from a completely different perspective, and they are coming to that meeting as an opportunity to block their calendar and you know being able to sit and think. When you tell these some of these people, well, why you don't make a meeting with yourself? They would look at you as if you propose something illegal, in the calendar world.
1: Boy, can I add, can I add a horror? I mean, I'm sure we have horror stories like this, but but I was in a meeting that in which uh, 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 my CEO had out his laptop watching a sporting event, basically refused to not watch it, <laughs> and in the next breath complained that people weren't focused in the meeting, and there was nothing that that. I could figure out to do to intervene to change the behavior it was it was as you could imagine it was it had, I had all sorts of feelings about it but what a is saying is is so sort of true is that the 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 problem of meetings everyone knows what they should do but the the requirements to and what they would have to sacrifice like standing up to make them work consistently to cut out the waste the 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 willpower or the culture or the motivation whatever you whatever you know whichever way you think of it it's kind of the same thing It's that people don't want to be inconvenient so much because what we're really talking about is turning meetings into this hyper-efficient kind of sprint that in which you minimize everything and you minimize any kind of waste, minimize the number of people, minimize the time, maximize the quality, maximize the, 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 con- the content. You make the most of the time that you have together by being prepared beforehand. You evaluate how well it went at the end. You know, we're talking about this really high-powered sprint that has a lot of feedback involved in it, a lot of preparation almost like a running 100 meters final whenever you have a meeting. And there are a few cultures that I've met that are up to that level of commitment. They'll say it, and when it comes down to it, you know, I don't really want to have to stand for 20 minutes, Augusto, sorry.
0: That's one element. And the other element is the way meetings work today, a.k.a. the completely ineffective way, it's great in certain organizations in the sense that give the people something that is more important and feel effective. Hey, I have met many people who wants to be efficient, who wants to be effective, who will believe in being more productive. But I has also met my first share of people who want to be busy. No, no, no. You know, you don't touch my meetings because you see how busy I am on my calendar? Don't touch. I don't have time for that. And sadly, there is a lot of that on many Company cultures, people who, is, who carry the badge of honor of, I had so many meetings, who carry the badge of honor of, look, all, you know, how busy I am. Don't, don't fix them, because then they, if you fix them, then we need to work. Right now, we cannot work more because we're busy.
2: I'm going to take us down a level again, back to the tactical, because while, uh, Francis, you may think that everybody knows better, I have a tendency to disagree because if they knew better, they would be doing these things. Uh, (laughs) um, So uh, a couple of things that always come to mind, I know earlier I actually also talked about scheduling meetings, and so there's actually a tool called uh, Let Us Meet And it's spelled lettuce as in the vegetable. And I'll put a link to this in the show notes. But it allows you to schedule a group meeting. I think the most popular one I know of is called Doodle. And so Doodle or Lettuce Meet allows you to create a group scheduling portal. And it's a link that you share with the other attendees. And they're capable of doing this. Obviously, if you're in an enterprise environment and you're using Outlook, you can use the Outlook scheduling functions there uh, to see, you know, your colleagues' calendars and invite external guests and so forth to the calendar. But I think that some of these efficiencies that we really need in the process of having successful meetings is is necessary. And not everybody knows that they are available to them. For example, the ability to use a group scheduling tool. I recently had a a snow event that canceled a bunch of meetings and so we had to use a group scheduling tool well i decided to use a group scheduling tool to invite all of those people to a rescheduled meeting or set of meetings and you would, i was i was remarkably shocked at the number of people who one hadn't used one of these tools before and two were technologically incapable of using the tool until educated about it and so i spent the time to educate them because i think that now that they've used it once, they are now aware that it even exists and that will make somebody else's life easier when they're when they're charged with scheduling a meeting with those professionals in the future. So know that sometimes you're going to have to put in a little bit more effort because if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably the most effective person in most rooms, right? So you need to remember that you're going to do a little bit more work than the average person, but ultimately that will pay dividends to you in the long run. And uh, you know, a couple of other items that just come to mind as we as we make our way through the discussion, and as we've been making our way through the discussion, is uh, about timing, both. Scheduling the meeting at a time when you believe that most people are going to be most open to the decision-making process. So there's actually good, a good bit of research uh, in uh, the book When by Dan Pink, which we talked about in a past episode. We discussed the fact that uh, judges have a tendency to be more lenient on, uh, on, on you know, defendants in a case when they uh, are not hungry. So in essence, right before lunch, more people get convicted or their appeals get denied and all kinds of things uh, because the judge's blood sugar level was low. And so for you, set meetings when people aren't going to be hungry or provide food or caffeine during meetings so that people have effective blood sugar levels. Uh, a glucose in their system basically available to them uh, so that they're in decision-making mode. So that's one. Two is set time limits for meetings. You might decide that meetings uh, should only be 25 minutes long or meetings should only be 55 minutes long or whatever the length of time it is that you think a meeting needs. Say you have uh, 10 agenda items. Well, you know, look at each agenda item and estimate how much time that will take, calculate it up. And that's the length of the meeting plus administrative uh, parts of the meeting introductions, you know, closing up and, and, and all that stuff. So set the appropriate time for the meeting. It's usually helpful to have someone who is keeping track of time. Um, So for one particular uh, meetup that I run, the, the GTD meetups in DC and New York, I actually keep a timer for part of the meeting. So, when we are doing the parts of the meeting an audible alert goes off for each person's turn and it is remarkably helpful for me as both facilitator but also as timekeeper because the audible alarm is a third-party objective system and so people don't need to feel like, oh, Ray's being unfair to me. It's that the clock is the clock. The time is time. I didn't decide that four minutes is four minutes. That's the time that's on the clock. And so when the alarm goes off, people have an audible... Uh, objective, you know, device telling them that their time is up, and so using that as a as an effective measure, using time limits during the meeting is also really really helpful. So I hope that's that's helpful in terms of. Oh, also arrive on time, start on time, and end on time. So if you say that we're going to meet for fifty five minutes and we're going to meet at one p.m. Eastern uh, time, then start on time, and latecomers be damned. And I I don't I don't mean this viciously. But what happens is, is that the culture of an organization, once you start starting five minutes late and then 10 minutes late, oh, let's just wait for a few more people to arrive. Then the culture gets developed that okay well it's all right for us to all show up whenever we feel like it and the meeting will just wait for me before i arrive and that especially happens with regard to people who might be higher up on the chain they the the meeting will defer to the time in which they show up and i say no to that you need to nix that and you know nip that in the bud and start meetings when they're supposed to start and then everyone gets the idea that oh right If the meeting's supposed to start at 1 p.m., then I show up at 1 p.m. And if I don't, then I'm going to miss something. And I don't want to miss something, so I will show up on time. And the people who are going to be late are always going to be late, and that's fine. Uh, they'll, They'll get caught up, and when they disturb everybody as they make their way in, they should feel the social pressure to not do that in the future. And then if they continue to do that, then that's an issue for management to deal with them. Right, you need to you need to work with that person to understand uh, the disrespect and the overall productivity impact that it makes when someone is consistently late, and that could be dealt with in another way. But starting meetings late is really a slippery slope to unsuccessful meetings because then time gets distorted. Everybody loses, uh, in, you know, the momentum associated with a clear definition of the time they're going to be taking for this particular event, all of those things happen when people start to muddy up the time.
1: I think the countdown clock is kind of what you're talking about. Um, I've seen countdown clocks that have a, it's a little bit difficult to describe, uh, but, but they're, if you set it for five minutes, it has a red portion that gradually shrinks like a pie chart. I've only seen it online, I don't have actually seen one, but that everyone can see the visual cue. So as you get to the as the meeting as the as you get to the time limit, you can see the time diminishing in front of you. This is for a, a live meeting, obviously, but it could be done online. I've I've just only seen the concept. I think it's the people who have ADHD are, are often use this particular tool to prevent themselves from going over. And I've meant to buy one, but never have. But the the other tool I thought of was this is the problem that we're sort of Talking about in different ways is how do you give feedback to people who need to get it? And in 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 some cultures, most cultures around meetings, there's no feedback at all. So bad behavior just basically gets accepted and ignored. But here's a here's one that is passive. That I used to work with a fellow who developed people counting software for Nielsen, the the TV rating people. And what, what they used to do is put this device in your living room, sit on top of your television. And it would scan the room and just tell you how many people are watching TV or when people are in the proximity. Why not put one of those in a meeting? And when, you, when you book a room for a meeting, the meeting, the, the, the device scans the room passively and counts the number of people who are in the room and counts them at the beginning, you know, when it's supposed to start, counts them after five minutes, counts them after 10. And at the end of the meeting, you get a report that just tells you what the that tells every, gives everyone the feedback around how we did in terms of starting the meeting on time getting everyone there so it's a passive counter a passive way of giving feedback i think th- this particular problem needs lots of feedback because in most cultures there is there's absolutely none which allows behaviours to continue and and p- people who know otherwise and people who, who should do better and people who are really smart, people who have a lot of power are just because of there's no feedback of any kind, they just continue and and act badly and ruin the meeting for other people.
0: You know, it's funny you mentioned that. We did a test on somewhere that we eliminate the face-to-face meetings, okay? And then we did all the meetings using Meeting, And the reason we did that without telling people initially was to figure it out who on the meeting was present on the meeting and for how long, okay? And what we were trying to test was how we can make those meetings more effectively, okay? And it worked great. Until the first report, the first time we said to people and say, "Hey, this is what we were measuring." This is without saying names. Okay, we just the, the upper management had the names. But we did not show them names. We just show them how long they get engaged into their own meetings in many cases. Okay, what happened as soon as the results went out is meeting engage improve. Not because really improved, because people start now instead of fooling around on their laptops, fooling around on their phones, leaving the full screen for the meeting. So, the time the recording shows that they are engaged and they were on their phone sending emails. We were tracking then the server on the other side as this other test. And then we eliminate the program because it, it, again, part of the biggest problem of this discussion turned into a culture problem. How we are going to improve. Culture for people who don't believe in meetings, and that's that's what turned to be a massive challenge here.
2: Okay, so we're coming up on time. I want to make sure that we cover any final thoughts that you all have about successful meetings. In terms of are there are there things that we have not yet covered in terms of uh, communication skills, presentation skills, and then finally, what to do about closing meetings and then post ops in terms of the the longevity of the actions from outcome. So for example, I like to give everyone an indicator that a meeting is coming to a close. So say 10 minutes or five minutes before the close of a meeting, I will let everybody know, okay, we have five minutes or 10 minutes left in the meeting, 15 minutes left in the meeting. Let's spend this time going through the agenda and identifying what the final outcomes are for actions based on the decisions we've made here today and then we can quickly scan those items identify responsible parties and all the while if I'm the scribe which I typically am scribing my own meetings I'm taking my own notes anyway and uh, I will I will jot down those right at the bottom of my meeting notes and identify who said they were going to do what and that all is kind of in its own block and in my in my note taking either Evernote you know, digitally, but traditionally I am, or typically I'm taking notes on and in my rocket book notebook, which is a, which is, you know, pen on a special type of paper that I can then, uh, there's an app, I take a picture and then it shoots an email off to wherever I want it to go. An email address, Evernote, OneDrive, Google Drive, Dropbox, or otherwise. And so what I What ultimately happens is that now I have these notes for the meeting, I can quickly digitize them and then send them off to a digital repository that I can share to others very, very quickly and easily. So one of the little icons on my Rocketbook is identified to a group email address for my staff. So when we have our meeting, then I have been taking notes the entire time and that that those notes then are very easily translated into an email directly to them because all I have to do is check the little box that goes to the group email. I snap a photo of it and it goes out to them. And now everyone is as a group identified in the actions that need to be taken and who's responsible for doing that action by when.
0: Well, I think there are are a couple of things I would like to mention. One is understand the culture of your organization, the meeting culture of your organization, because that will save you a lot of frustration. And yes, sometimes the sad realization is there is nothing that will improve these meetings for now. Okay, and and we may need to revisit this one later. But because the cha- people think, oh, I can change the meeting, but if you don't understand. What the culture behind all those meetings is, what tend to happen simply is you are trying to swim against the organization, and sadly, as much as it will be ideal, you cannot sell a meteorite to a dinosaur. Okay, the only thing you accomplish doing that is make the dinosaur mad. Uh, so it's something you need to be really careful when you do because then. If you don't notice that what you accomplish is you really make people frustrated and nothing move out of the you know, nothing move forward. So that's something important to to remember.
1: It's interesting the thought I got from what you said is that when someone asks which people do sometimes, my company, oh we need a culture change, I would I, I think my shorthand answer is now gonna be, Oh great, just put in rigorous email and, and meeting policies and give feedback. That's all. And they probably would blink a couple times and say, well, you know, <laughs> those are really hard things to change. I'd say, well, you start there, they're measurable and they incur a huge cost. So start with those. Don't worry about all the other other enticing stuff. Just do those. That'll take you a really, really long way. I suspect I wouldn't have many clients in this area if I tried to do that. But no, I'm thinking based on what you said that those are embedded sort of bad uh, areas of bad behavior in most companies. And there's a reason that they don't want to tackle them. And it's, it's, it, it has to do exactly as you said with the culture.
2: With that, we're going to close out this episode. I'm sure we will come back to the topic of of meetings in the future and so if you have a question or comment about this cast something that we discussed here on this episode of productivity cast feel free to head over to the podcast website if you're not listening to the episode from there at productivitycast.net there at the bottom of the page you can leave a comment or question and one of us will be glad to respond there at productivitycast.net you'll also find our show notes our transcript. Uh, links to anything that we discussed. And uh, and so you can find that all there on productivitycast.net. You'll also have the subscribe uh, option there. So you'll learn how to follow us from whatever application, podcast directory via email, however you want to uh, receive Productivity Cast in the future. And if you have a just a general question about productivity and you'd like us to cover a topic, feel free to suggest that by going to productivitycast.net forward slash contact. There'll be a contact page. You can either record an audio question and uh, write from your web browser for us or you can type words into the form and send that to us and we'll be happy to uh, receive those and review those and uh, we come up with topics based on some of those recommendations. Uh, Thanks to Augusto and Francis for joining me here on this cast and uh, also if you could uh, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you listen to the podcasts and uh, feel free to leave a rating or review that helps us grow our podcast listening community. Community. And so thank you for doing that.
0: That's it for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Penaud, with Francis Wade and
1: Art Gelwicks.